Uh, of our Savior in this. Ah, there it is. Ah, all of a sudden, I got to be more powerful. <laughs> How about that? Thank you, Brandon. Appreciate that. Uh, they wouldn't have to yell through the rest of the service. So, yeah. Well, it's a short passage, and I'm going to read it again just because it's a short passage. Why not? In uh, verse 16, it says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Amen and amen. Now, I'm going to ask a question. Uh, and in light of what we have been learning already on the Sermon on the Mount, please do not raise your hand when you answer this, okay? Have you ever fasted? Keep your hands down. Right. <laughs> Have you ever fasted? Do you know what it is in, in a biblical sense? Um, does the idea of fasting seem foreign to you? Maybe a, a concept that in your mind is kind of like a Bible days kind of thing. And maybe you might say to yourself, well, it's not really that pertinent to me today, a, you know, Western society, modern day believer. I mean, it's not that important. But in looking in today's passage from the Sermon on the Mount and realizing that Jesus spoke about it, we can certainly assume that it was important enough subject for our Savior to address. Now, we could take a lot of time this morning and examine many, many instances in the scriptures of fasting. There's dozens and dozens of references to it. But, but what I think would best serve us today is we're going to certainly define fasting, and uh, both generally and biblically, and then get to the heart of the teaching that Lord Jesus has for us and that he brought to his hearers and then the instruction it is for you and for me, and then how we can make application uh, in our own lives and how we can gain uh, from that. So I, I, I would say it's probably safe to say that most of us understand that fasting is the willing or the willful refrainment from eating and sometimes even drinking. It's used for health benefits. Maybe some of you have had the glory of serious surgery, have had to fast before that, right? Sometimes it's done for that purposes surgical purposes, uh, but sometimes it's done even for political protests. You've certainly read about or maybe even know people who aren't going to eat or drink to make a statement. But what is the significance and the purpose of fasting to the child of God? That's the question for you and for me today. Now, it's obvious from today's text that the Jews had gotten things quite messed up when it came to fasting, and Jesus was going to correct it as he's corrected so many other things as we've seen previously. So we would do well 
to look closely at what Christ said, and then by His grace, what we ask Him to do today is to help us to learn not just the meaning of fasting, but also certainly the motive for it, as the Lord dealt with the motive in the previous things that have been uh, taught to us. So in a biblical sense, then fasting is a voluntary abstinence from food. The Jews' fasts were practiced with various degrees of strictness, and as expressed in the law, it had to do with the humbling of the soul, implying the sacrifice of the personal will, which gives to fasting all of its value. Some fasts lasted just a single day, some more often than that. In a supposed demonstration of profound humbling of the soul before God in repentance and mortification of sin, it was also, not unusual to put on sackcloth. You might have read about that. It's, it's a, a coarse, dark-colored garment made of goat hair. And from everything I've read, it's not very comfortable on purpose. That's the idea behind it. Sometimes they tear their garments, scatter ashes over their heads. And so at the time of Jesus, that Jesus was giving these instructions, fasting had become a common practice among the Jews. And it continued to be a common practice even among Christians, uh, after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And just interestingly to note, I thought it was uh, interesting that, uh, as I studied this, the Pharisees were accustomed to practice fast, fasting on Mondays and Thursdays. But the early Christians appointed Wednesday and Friday as days of fasting uh, in commemoration of the Passion and Crucifixion of Christ, but also, I think, because they didn't want to associate with the Jews' way of fasting at the time, which, of course, the Lord is correcting here. But before we get into all that, let's consider that Christ's disciples also were criticized for not fasting while Christ was alive and ministering to the people. But the Lord had an answer to that. In fact, if you just turn up to chapter 9, you're right there in Matthew, just a couple of pages in your Bible or scroll up a little bit in your phones. In chapter 9, verse 14 and 15, if you look at that with me, it says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So we see then during the ministry of the Lord Jesus, he was not asking his disciples particularly to uh, fast. And aside from what we read here today, we see that it appears that Jesus did not give specific instructions to practice fasting, at least while he was with them, and was subsequently criticized uh, for not having disciples do that. However, just I do want to point out this, that the Lord Jesus did mention later in his ministry the value and the necessity of fasting in relation to the disciples' questions about why they could not cast out a demon. You remember that story? It's, it's, in, it's referenced in Matthew chapter 17. It's also referenced in Mark chapter 9. Remember this, this man who had a son who was demon-possessed, and he asked the disciples to cast out the demon, and they couldn't do it. <clears throat> and Jesus said, uh, the disciples came to Jesus and said, why can't we do this? They were powerless to do so. And if you were to look at Matthew chapter 17, verse 21 in the King James Version of the Bible or other versions that are translated from that text, uh, you would see an answer to that. In the ESV, in Mark chapter 9, verse 29, it's noted as a, as a footnote. And here's what Jesus said to them about that. He said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but, anybody know? Prayer and what? And fasting. 
puts them together, doesn't he? So Jesus' comments in this situation helps us to get a better understanding of the purpose and the value of fasting. Fasting, if practiced correctly, should help the individual through the denying of the flesh of food and or water even, be reminded of a greater spiritual need. See, the the physical deprivation is to remind and to encourage the believer to turn his attention to God, acknowledging his need for God's help. Ideally, that's how fasting should be practiced, with every intent of it being something that draws the genuine believer, this is very important, ever closer to God. And that's the challenge, isn't it? I don't know how it is for you, but it might be the same for me, but I wake up every morning having to work very hard by the grace of God to draw closer to God because I continually see myself drifting away. How about you? So, clearly Jesus is teaching the value of fasting, the value of self-restraint, the value of denying oneself for the purpose of drawing closer to God. But we see in today's passage that he was going to be certain to correct fastings in correct practice. Now, you see, I don't have a lot by way of uh, technology. I have three simple points that are going to put up on the uh, screen for you. First of all, there is the danger of display, verse 16. The danger of display. I like to call it that way. What did Jesus say to them? When you, when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. Why? They, they, they want people to see them. We see the Lord begin this section of teaching on fasting by saying, when you fast. Let me just say this. He is acknowledging that the Jews are fasting, but sadly, they're doing it incorrectly. And the very first thing he wants to address is the true reason for fasting. As we have been hearing already in, in previous messages, we would do well to remember that the Lord is not as much concerned about the outward practices as he is very much concerned about the heart reason we do what we do. Isn't that the reminder we need this morning? In this instance, Jesus is warning about the danger of displaying their fasting outwardly for the purpose of being seen by others. And oh, as I considered this passage this morning, my heart just cries out with this, this thought, the danger of doing what we do to display to others, perhaps, that we are spiritual. Jesus said, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. More literally, that means of a sad countenance or expressing that downcast look of settled grief and pain or displeasure, that definition given to us from Mr. Vincent and his word studies. One might say, then considering that, we might say, why would anybody do that? I mean, why would we, you know, pour ashes on our head? And why, why, why would uh, we, we think of such a thing? Well, we're going to get to the deeper reason for that in just a bit. But in his correction of this practice, the Lord Jesus answers that question. What does he say? What does he say? He says that their fasting may be what? Be seen by others. Now, the Jews had become so accustomed to the traditional practices of fasting that it wasn't even a little bit subtle. (laughs) Note how Jesus points out, they disfigure their faces. The idea here is uh, to be unwashed, unshaven, unanointed. So it's, it's very clear that the purpose of all of this is for the display to others 
And the Lord Jesus Christ condemns it and, of course, corrects it. As we studied just last week and a little earlier in this chapter, if you look in chapter 6, verses 5 in, 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 uh, verses five and 6, Jesus condemns that ostentatious public display of prayer. We heard about that. Verse 5 and 6, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners. Why? There's that phrase, what? That they may be seen by others. And Jesus says they have their reward, just like he said about fasting. Or you recall even earlier in the chapter, verse 2 of chapter 6, that's when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet, as the hypocrites do. Why do they do it, he says, verse 2, that they may be praised by others. So we find the Lord Jesus very clearly and firmly challenging his hearers to be very careful that they don't give and they don't pray and they don't fast, this is important now, as a means to display to others what they are doing. So, you and I might say this morning, I would never do that. I mean, perhaps. Perhaps not with giving. Perhaps not with praying. Perhaps not with fasting. You might not walk into the, this room today and say, by the way, everybody, I just want you to know I'm fasting today. Probably you wouldn't do that with any of those three things. But allow me this morning to challenge each of us to really consider how much we potentially do for display to other people, even as believers. In fact, I'll say particularly as believers, let me tell you why. We might do what we're doing as a potential display to others. Now, listen very carefully what I'm going to say, because that's what spiritual people do. That's what we know that spiritual people do. And so, therefore, I need to be doing that because, after all, that's what spiritual people do, and people are watching me. And these things that we might be going through our minds right now, they could be wonderful things and right things and necessary things and biblical things. But if you, if you don't leave with anything else today, please leave with this thought. And just think, I'm just getting started, so look out. Please remember today that spiritual activity is not the same as genuine spirituality. Amen. You can be as busy as a, a beaver or a bee or whatever expression you want to use, and you cannot be a very spiritual person. You just might be spiritually active. Big difference. And only you know the difference between, that, between you and the Lord. Because remember, as we go through this passage, we find out that who's the only one that sees the heart? God does. We'll see a little bit more about that in a minute. We quite easily think that getting involved in many things that displays to others, and maybe even to ourselves, or listen to this, even to God, we might be saying, look, look at what I am doing. Christian, if you've been saved for a long time and you've been serious in your walk with God, have you ever maybe subtly thought this, this, this expression or had this thought, look what I'm doing. God, look what I'm doing. God does see all that, doesn't he? <laughs> he does see it. But more dangerously, you and I might be among us as a church family here doing things very subtly for display to others. And then when it comes to this fasting then, 
we see that it's simply the third of three very specific things that Jesus addresses, particularly, particularly within the culture of that time and especially within, uh, the, uh, with the practice of, that, of the religious elite, the danger of display. So in the strictest sense, our Savior is teaching that if you are going to fast, no one should know about it. Let God know about it. Now, obviously, maybe you wouldn't have the context of your family. I get that. But it is something that we should not purposefully put out there, right? And we would do well to ask ourselves the hard question, am I concerned that others see this so they will know that I am spiritual, whatever it is that we're doing? Our Lord Jesus puts his finger right on the real issue in the matter, which leads us to the second point as we look at our text. Not only the danger of display, but also the directive toward the heart. Or you might want to rephrase it, the priority of the heart, verses 17 uh, and 18a. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father. Notice again that the Lord instructs them in anticipation that they will fast, so it's a good thing to do, providing it's done correctly. And what does the Lord put his finger upon? It's really, if you look at it, and as we've already been hearing, the matter of the heart. You see, our sinful tendency is to focus on the outside. That is sadly so important to us. Well, God is most interested in my heart, in your heart. And so the Lord is clearly teaching here that to the degree that an individual would have an outward display to show everyone he is fasting, he misses the singular purposeful reason for fasting, which is this. A heart that is humble, submissive, and surrendered to God in closeness and intimacy. That's what he's looking for. And yet again, one might say, why would someone do this? Why would someone make a public display of his supposed spirituality? Hmm. Well, having personally spent many of my most formative years as a baby Christian in ministries that overemphasized the outward appearance, I could understand the very subtle nature of this tendency. Because I could certainly suggest to you that in my own life and in the life of many of the brothers and sisters in the Lord that I grew up with as a baby Christian, even though there was definitely an overemphasis on the outward, many of them would certainly say that what they were doing, they were doing because they loved the Lord. And they did it in an effort to try to please God and do the right thing. But yet I want to remind all of us of a verse, and I think many of you will know this verse. It's Jeremiah 17, verse 9, verses 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful. Does anybody know what the next few words are? Above all things. Now, just meditate on that verse, that thought for a moment. The heart is deceitful above all things. Now, listen, the proud mind and the proud heart does not like that verse. Because that verse is putting it right where I need to be with the Lord. That verse is teaching that I can't even know my own heart. 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, it says in the ESV. KGV says desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And then verse 10, if that's not enough, verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways. So please realize that this verse teaches we cannot even comprehend the wickedness of our heart, and but for the grace of God. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God today? We have elevated the grace of God in our worship already, haven't we? Hasn't it been wonderful? Just elevating the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father, what he's done for us. The Holy Spirit speaking to us through his word and through the worship time and through the words of the song. But for the grace of God, we will continue in outward displays of activity to show others how spiritual we are. And yet the grace of God comes down and convicts us perhaps of that, if that's what we're doing. I was thinking about just something a couple of weeks ago, me in preparation of this message, and it was either something I was going to wear or something I was going to do. And I thought, you know, there would have been a time when I would have said, no, I can't do that because someone else is going to look at me. And I don't mean necessarily because I wanted to be a good example. Because I was concerned what someone else would think. And I wanted to be able to show something. You know, in, in, in the book of Romans, which is such a powerful book, a tremendous treatise there, isn't it? Doctrinal treatise. In chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, here's a verse again that I, I think many of you will know. 10 through 13. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Holy cow. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. And so sadly, the truth of the matter is that the Scripture teaches that we are far worse off in the heart department than we could ever even realize. And yet... And yet we are admonished to turn our attention to that inner man, that part of us that God sees and that matters the most. You see, in verse 18a of our text today, it says that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father, what? Who sees in secret. So thankfully, by the grace of God, we can turn our attention to that inner man, draw close to the Lord in sincerity and truth without a care of what others think. But that takes the grace of God, does it not? Because our Heavenly Father sees all, and He knows all, and He knows even better than we do why we do what we do. That's the challenge for us. Do we know what we do? It's okay. Not a problem. He's just emphasizing the point. That's all it is. Let me just say it again. He knows even better what we do, why we do, (laughs) and what we do. (laughs) One one preacher to another is not a problem. (laughs) It was a test, actually. I just figured it out. It was a test to see how I would handle it. How would I do? You did really well. Thank you. All right. (laughs) Oh, my you know, when we contemplate on these things, and, 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 what I'm, and as I'm talking to us about the heart today, I do not want to disconnect it all from the glorious truth of the gospel. We're going to get to that. The connection of the grace of God that allows me to, able to be even, even be able to see my heart, at least to the degree that I needed to see it to be born again. 
or that I can see something in my life that God reveals to me as I study his word through his spirit, all of a sudden I say, oh my, look at that. Or maybe even here as you're here this morning and I'm talking to you us from the text about the danger of display and maybe the spirit of God is talking to you about something. That's the grace of God in your life. That's not this preacher. That's the grace of God. How much power does this preacher have? Zero without God. No preacher does without the power of God in their life. So when we consider this, let me just poke on this thought a little bit that we are so often driven by doing when God is more interested in your being. Let me say that again. We're often (laughs) driven by doing. I use that word driven on purpose because you have a life, don't you? And you have a lot of responsibilities, don't you? And there's a lot of things going on. And I do get that, believe me. But God is interested really in what, uh, who I am, in my, I'll use that phrase, being, more than what I'm doing. And, and, and I would suggest that some of us don't stop long enough to simply get alone with God. You say, preacher, do you know what my life is like? Well, not exactly, but I did raise three kids and full-time ministry. I have an idea of what it's like to be busy. I do. You say, well, it's not your stage of your life now. I know that. We all have different stages of life. But what I am here to say to you is I believe God is telling us, what is your priority? And here's where the deception is, that we, we think that by doing that we're spiritual. And certainly there's an aspect of being spiritual, you will do certain things, correct? But don't get the cart before the horse. All right? God is more interested in the condition of my heart. God is more interested in the condition of your heart than all the things that I'm doing and all the things that you're doing. See, he wants us to be doing out of a heart that flows from a relationship with him. I read recently a comment in a devotional that I thought was rather appropriate to what we're considering here today, and it went something like this. It is much easier to do something than to trust God. And draw closer to him. Let me say it again. It's much easier to do something than to trust God, drawing closer to him. So the Lord directs his hearers to consider their heart, that inner man, that which really decides what we do, when we do it, and why we do it. The heart is central to the matter. You know, just a little bit uh, later on in this book, since we're in Matthew, if you, if you want to turn up to chapter 15, you can, verse 8 and 9. I think it's a great commentary, again, Jesus dealing with the heart. Matthew 15, verse 8 and 9, look at that, if you will. Jesus is quoting Isaiah in our text, Isaiah 29, 13. And here's what he says. This people honors me with their lips, but what is far from him? Their heart. Now, Jesus is looking at all different stripes of of Jewish people there, from the religious elite who practiced the fasting with the sackcloth and the ashes on the head to the common man and everybody in between. But Jesus says, you know what you're doing? You're honoring me with your lips, but your heart isn't really there. What an application for you and for me. You know, you and I can walk into, as we say, the house of God with a heart that's far from him. And now there can be a lot of reasons for that. I'm not saying that life isn't challenging. It is at times, isn't it? 
In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. There's a lot to say there, but we don't have time to go over that. So, in fasting, getting back to our text, right? The Lord is directing his listeners to consider the heart, the inner man. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the issues of life. So I have a responsibility to keep my heart. You have a responsibility to guard your heart, protect your heart. Many other passages we can look at. But let me just say this one. I think I'd be remiss uh, if I didn't explain this because I'm thinking about the fact that only Jesus Christ can change the heart. We were talking about Romans a moment ago. Romans chapter 10, verse 10. Here's a verse, again, that I think many of us would know. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 10, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I've always found it interesting that Paul, as he's in referencing salvation here particularly, I always found it interesting that he doesn't use the word head. He doesn't say, with the head or with the mind one believes. He doesn't say that. He says, with the heart one believes. Now, to be sure, don't get me wrong. (laughs) You have to understand the gospel, right? You have to understand what's going on. You have to understand that Christ is the sacrifice for us, that the wrath of God, as we learned today in E412, God brings his wrath down. The wrath of God was satisfied. He put the punishment on the Lord Jesus, did he not? We have to understand that gospel, that part of it. But it is received through the operation of the heart. Please listen very carefully. The operation of the will, the part of you or the part of me that says, yes, God, I repent of my sins. I accept Christ as Savior and Lord. I don't just understand it. I surrender to his claim on me. He is king. He's the only one that can do for me what I could never do. And I surrender to that. You know, I'm reminded of uh, Jesus saying, I think it's in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus saying, if any man will be my disciple, he needs to hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children. What? Everything. Who does he have us to have complete claim on our lives? Him. You say, wow, that's pretty powerful. And I understand that do we get to all that when we first born again? No. Not necessarily. It's a a growing process, isn't it? But that's true understanding. It's with the heart. When I say, Lord, I understand it with my heart. You have a claim on me. How the Jews had fallen into formalism and ritualism, giving them a false sense of spirituality. And today, we must be very careful to examine ourselves. I'm going to ask you this question. We're talking about the heart. Only God sees the heart. Ask yourself this question, am I truly born again? Are you certain you know Christ is your Savior? I'm not asking you if you prayed a prayer one time. I'm asking you if you're born again. Has the Spirit of God come clearly into your life and you know it? Do you yearn and thirst for a close relationship with the Savior? Because anything other than that is religion. And religion doesn't save anybody, does it? Only a relationship with Jesus Christ. I had the opportunity to share uh, in a luncheon here a few weeks ago from the book of Philippians and Paul's wonderful words, that I may know him, that I may know him. And the power 
of his resurrection. You know, when you're born again, God, some of that power comes into your life. The power to understand the book. The power to change your life. I mean, you can change your life a lot with your own personal, maybe your own self-will. But God's looking for something supernatural that comes when you're really born again. Now, only God knows the heart. I can't answer it for you, and you can't answer it for me. Oh, how we need the help of the Spirit of God. The danger of display, the directive toward the heart. Now, let's briefly end on an encouraging thought, and that's the delight, the delight of pleasing your Heavenly Father. I like this verse. It says, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Notice how our Savior teaches that what really matters is what your Heavenly Father sees and knows. It's taken me, and I'm still learning, a long time to really grasp that truth. I've been saved a couple of years, and I would say I'm just beginning to understand it. Just beginning. You know, as we love Him and serve Him out of a genuine heart, one that is seeking to please Him first and foremost, then the Scripture says there's a reward. Yes, Jesus promises that God the Father knows and He's watching everything, and that should bring us great joy. Why? Because He promises to reward His child according to His perfect will and ways. You know, that reward may be now, it may be later, but God is a faithful Father who knows the genuine condition of my heart and knows the genuine condition of your heart. Public displays of fasting as we saw in our text, reveal the heart of pride and self-elevation. And what did Jesus say? They got their reward. Mm -hmm. Everybody looked at them and said, oh, look how spiritual they are. That's their reward. Verse 16b says, truly I say unto you, they have received their reward. But to the one who fasts in secret, who does it for the purpose of self-humbling, to draw closer to the Father. That one, the Scripture says, receives the reward. And that should bring genuine delight because, you know, your Father is pleased. Meditate on that for a moment. You know, there are many promises of reward to God's children and for those who walk with Him. There are promises of reward for those who walk with Him. Notice, I'm going to take a moment to say not those who know about him, those who walk with him. I want to submit to you this morning the thought that there are people who have a head full of doctrine but do not walk with God. They know a lot of the Bible, but they do not walk with God. Now, I'm not saying don't know the Bible. Get as much doctrine in there as you can. We heard some fantastic things this morning in E412 about the Passover things that I had never considered. Fantastic truth. That was wonderful. There's things to learn. There's things to know. But if you separate those truths from walking with God, what do you have? Maybe just religion at best, right? An intellectual exercise. I'd rather walk with God. How about you? That's what it's all about. Drawing closer to Him. I'm thinking about that passage in the Genesis, it says, Enoch walked with God. And what? God took him. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Enoch walked with God and God took him. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. 
many people walked with God and, and received rewards. I'm thinking about Abraham and Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear God, fear not rather, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. And there was many aspects of that reward. <laughs> certainly was. And we're not going to get into all that now, but I want to end on this, this thought here. When the father is pleased, he rewards his children. And what a wonderful truth. And one that should excite us and delight us because when you really love someone, now listen very carefully, please. When you really love someone, you delight in pleasing that one. I hope you have that kind of experience in your life, whether it's in the context of a marriage or with your children or whatever it may be, a sibling or maybe not even someone in your family. When you love someone, you ought to really delight in pleasing that one in a genuine right way. I'm reminded of the greatest command. Who can tell me what the greatest command of the Bible is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, body, everything, right? Delight in pleasing Him as He sees your secret life, Christian, as He sees my secret life. And He will reward accordingly. Isn't that awesome? Let me just say this about the rewards. In previous messages in this series, I was very thankful and so very pleased to hear us be reminded what our greatest reward is. You know, I talk about heaven, right? And you know, I was teasing my son. I was taken into the airport the other day, and I said, you know, I'm certain of this. In heaven, there won't be any cars going slowly in the left lane. It's one of my pet peeves, right? But heaven is much more than that, isn't it? It really is. The greatest reward in heaven, the thing that should motivate us and excite us the most about heaven is Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Being with him, seeing him for eternity. He is our great reward, and what a joy that is. As we close, how about a few lyrics from the song Smile by Chris Rice? My journey's here, but my heart is there. So I dream and wait and keep the faith while you prepare our destiny till you come back for me. Oh, please make it soon. Because I just want to be with you. I just want this waiting to be over. I just want to be with you, and it helps to know that the day is getting closer. Every minute takes an hour. Every inch feels like a mile till I won't have to imagine. And I finally get to see you smile. What a glorious day that will be. My friend, are you here today? Do you have that longing in your heart? Are you certain you know Christ is your Savior? Christian, you know you're born again, but things have gotten cold. Maybe it's Mechanical, and you do things for display. You don't even actively think about it. Or maybe your life is so crowded with so many things, and you're doing things, and they're right things, and they're good things, but you're not alone with God. From that will flow everything you need. And of course, the Jews had lost their way. They were displaying and fasting, and they revealed the wickedness of a heart that loves self first and the praise of men first opposite of what God expected and wanted. 
May we be sufficiently warned today the danger of display, the need to direct our spiritual activity toward the priority of the heart, and may we find great delight in pleasing our Heavenly Father. Let us pray. Father in heaven, what a privilege it has been to share your word with these dear people. Now, Father, I am keenly aware of the fact that if your help has not been on this preacher today and on the preaching of your word, we have had a lecture. We do not need a lecture today. We need Christ lifted high among us, the Spirit of God working in us to convict us of sin and to encourage us that we can go forward living for you for the glory of God. Help us today, Father, even as we consider fasting, May we do it as a way to draw close to you. And Father, we thank you for the grace you've given each of us and the promises you've given to us in your word. And may we leave here today more encouraged than ever before to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We ask this in Christ's name.